Welcome back to Prince in the Pod. This is your host, Sam Prince. And with me today, I have a special guest, Daniel Alvarez. And Daniel, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Oh, hi, guys. Sam and Kobe. Nice to, to be with you guys here. Uh, so now, um, well, I've been, I've been covering the Marlins. I'm a baseball writer. And I've been covering baseball in Miami since 2017. I'm also a broadcaster and TV analyst for IBC Networks with uh, Major League Baseball, Winter League in Venezuela, Winter League in, in Puerto Rico, and also a Formula One driver for Triangulo Deportivo. I also am the host of a podcast um, called Swings and Mishes en Español, which is a, the Spanish podcast of the Miami Marlins. And um, this uh, week, week, I just uh, became part of the Baseball Writers Association of America. And Daniel just gave a little surprise right there that Kobe will be joining yeah. me today. And Kobe, do you want to say anything before we start? What's up, guys? All right, let's start. Daniel, what made you fall in love with the game of baseball? Well, um, I grew up in Venezuela. I was born over, the, over there. And my, my mom, she was a um, – or oh, oh, she is right now a baseball writer. She's been, you know, in working in baseball for over – 30 years and at the time she was a public address announcer for Leones del Caracas which is a, a team in Venezuela a very popular team in Venezuela um, and she when, when when she was pregnant she was working on the you know in, in the finals of, of the, the, the league you know that season in, in 97 and I think she was like eight months old or something like that and you know the finals were going on and I almost was born there during during the finals of the stadium so um when of course when I was born a couple of months later um I went to a ballpark a lot and that's the place where I, where I grew up and when I where I fell in love with the game in Estadio Universitario in Caracas um my, my grandfather he played amateur baseball um my family Everybody loves baseball in my family, so I've been around the game for for a while. And I, since since a very young age, uh, before even turning one year old, I, I already was like meeting players like Bobby Abreu or Roger Cedeno or Alex Gonzalez, you know, great Venezuelan players that were playing at the time there. And and yes, I I grew up around the game. Uh, I played baseball for for a long time. And this is what I wanted to do for, uh, you know, since, since I was a little kid. Daniel, that is one interesting story. And how much did your mom affect your life on how much you love the game of baseball? Did she teach you every little trick about the game on what to really notice in the game and really what not to do? Yes, um, I would say that, of course. Um, my mom, she she has a huge, huge impact in, in my life. Uh, not only because she's my mom, of course, but uh, because I I always wanted to to follow her steps, and and that's what I've what I've been doing um, for the last uh, years. And and yeah, she's been teaching me a lot, and and things about the game the, the history of the game how how to respect the game how to be a reporter and respect the players uh respect everything that is going on respect your your, your colleagues um like those those are the tools that she's been giving me for for years and that's because that's what i've been you know 
watching her do, doing all my life and my 23 almost 24 years of life so um i've been i've been trying to learn so many things with her like going to uh, radio stations or tv stations or to the ballpark with her and and watching watching games at home at the stadium and you know everywhere and and things about some game situations or you know like wait while you're watching the game you know for things to to analyze or for example how to approach a player for an interview or something like that so uh, she's been huge in in my preparation as a, as a baseball writer and as a reporter what is the best way to approach a player after a game after maybe let's just say they want a game off a walk-off home run or maybe if you have to interview a pitcher who gave up that walk-off home run how would you approach those two players differently well uh for the pitcher it's you know it, it's always um you know it's it's not the best thing to do um because of course you know he's he might be on a bad mood or upset and, and understandably so because he just gave up the the walk of home run but at the time i mean uh, usually you are you know with with a group of reporters and you just go to him ask him hey what happened uh what you know how was the approach of that at that or things like that and and you just have to to let the guy talk you know that sometimes it's going to be difficult for you know to get a maybe a good quote or something like that so you're you're not trying like to push something that might get him mad at you of course you you have to ask the the right questions and and sometimes you have to ask the the hard hitting questions but you you have to to know how to be um you know, you know, to make like the exact questions. I mean, you, you cannot be saying like, oh, like, are you having too much pressure or is that uniform too heavy for you or something like that? I mean, of course not. Um, and with a player that just won the game, it's the easiest thing for him because he's, he might be, you know, all happy and, and he wants to, to tell everything that happened on that at bat. And it's it's nice. For example, I love when, when, when I have a player that it's very good explaining, uh, you know, how his approach was or his swing or what, what pitch he hit or things like that, uh, because they get, they give you an explanation that makes you learn something new. And, and that's, that's what I love about my, my job. And Dan, you said you started covering the Marlins. How did you say, you know what, I'm going to go to the U S and go to Miami and I'm going to want to cover the Miami Marlins as a career. Well, you know, I, I was I was not thinking about that, uh, to to be honest, um, because I I moved in the, in the you know to the U.S. in 2014. I was not expecting to do it at that time because I was living in Venezuela and I wanted to finish high school there, maybe go to school there, or maybe get a scholarship or something to play here. But I wanted to, you know, the, the main thing for me was to to finish high school there. I, I was not able to, to do it because of the situation that we were going on in Venezuela and especially um, my, my mom and my dad being, being involved in the media. But the thing is that, uh, for example, my, my mom, she not only she covered baseball, she covered politics for, for a long time. And my dad, she was a, he was a, the GM of a, you know, like a streaming TV channel or station, I don't know, that was against the Venezuelan government or 
and you know understandably so it's a you know it's a dictatorship so uh we were they they were just saying the truth and everything that was going on and it was dangerous for us to be there uh especially because i was a, a 16 17 year old guy going to the streets to protest and, and all of that and it was really dangerous for me to be there so my my parents took the decision of taking us here uh you know, all the family. And I said, like, you know what, I, of course, I have to, to make the best of it, because I'm, I'm not going back to Venezuela uh, anytime soon. And I haven't been there yet since, since I moved here. And, and I said, you know what, I just, I just want to play ball. And, and that's it. Uh, and of course, being in Miami, being around the mornings, I, I like this team, what they're doing right now with Stan and Jose Fernandez, Yelich, uh, Ozuna, you know, all of that. And, but I, I couldn't play any longer because I was I, I got hurt and on my shoulder and I still can't throw a ball right now. So I said, you know what? Uh, I love journalism. Uh, I love writing, commenting, you, you know, doing everything that I'm doing right now. And I said, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna uh, take this this path and, and and be around the game this way. Well, Daniel, that was one hell of a story and it's okay daniel i'm really not that good at baseball too so we're both in the same boat like I, I i don't i don't feel bad and <laughs> uh, of course i mean that's what i wanted to do at you know at the time but i i i love what i'm doing right now and i i, I was joking with with john mattingly um two years three years ago because we were talking about right-handers that have trouble hitting against lefties because you, people say like oh Lefty against righty, that's a good matchup for, for the righty hitter. It's like not all the time because sometimes, because if you see, you know, a, a lesser amount of less, of lefties, maybe you're, in, you know, it, it's it's better for, for a righty to hit against a righty, not, not against a lefty. And we were talking about that. And I, I think like, yeah, we were talking about that and joking about that. And... And then someone mentioned like, hey, Danny played with uh, Glaber Torres. I played against Glaber Torres in, in Caracas. I played against Franklin Barreto in Caracas. And there are a couple of minor leaguers. Uh, one of them, it's, I think he's going to make a, a big league team. If not this year, maybe next year. Uh, Juan Yepes, he's in the Cardinals organization. I play with them, right? And <laughs> someone told that to, to Don Mattingly. And Don was like, why didn't you play? I was like, because I had trouble hitting against lefties. So, so, so that's what happened. And, and yeah, like he, he told me like, well, there are different ways to make it to the big league. So you're not playing, but you're riding in the big leagues. It's like, yes, I guess so. So that's nice from you, Tony. And as a diehard Yankee fan, what was it like playing against Glaber Torres? Uh, well, at the time he was really good. I mean, he's been good all the time all the time like i remember i remember I, I i think i played against him maybe two games a couple of them and we were like eight seven nine or, or ten years old um i was playing with a team called cachorros which is cops and the the uniform the logo everything was the, the cops uniform and he was playing with cumbres i think it was the the, the name of the team it's a it's an area in, in caracas a, a very nice one and he always heard about Glaber and Glaber, 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 and it's a unique name, so you 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 can't forget about that name. And he, but at the time, I have to say, Franklin Barreto, who who's now with the with the Angels, he was better at that time. And the one that had the, you know the 
the better projection was Barreto and Glaber was always looking up to to Franklin and they're very good friends, very close friends. And and Glaber was like, hey man, like I like I want to be like like Franklin. And Franklin was, I was a catcher and he was the toughest, the toughest out in the league. Like at some point I was like, man, I'm just done. Like just put four fingers down because I don't know how to face this guy. <laughs> He's gonna take you deep all the time. So um, that, that that was that was fun and playing against Glaber was was fun too. And. You talked about you covered the Marlins. Now, did you cover the Marlins when Jose Fernandez was there? No, I didn't. I didn't because, uh, as I said, I started in 20, 2017. Um, I started, you know, one, one year after. Uh, at the time, I was uh, going going as a fan. And that uh, last year of, of, of Jose, he made 17 starts at home. 16 of, of them were uh, regular regular season starts because one of them was against the Yankees in a spring training game, but at, at Martins Park. And out of those 17, I went to 16 of them. I just missed one start. It was against the, the Diamondbacks in May, I think it was. So, of course, you can you can tell by that that Jose was and still is my, my favorite player. Um, it was so nice to, to see him there, you know, the, just by waking up that morning in, you know, and if he was pitching, you, you could have tell like the atmosphere and, and the buzz around, around the city was something uh, different and, and very special. And it was something that I really enjoyed a lot, of course, uh, when the tragedy happened it was maybe one of the toughest uh, moments of, of my life, uh, being so young and losing someone that, he was not my my friend or something like that. I met him a couple of times, uh, but it feels like like losing a, a loved one, uh, and that was so uh, so hard for for everybody here. Yes, it was very tough when Jose died. I remember that day like it was yesterday. No, it was it was tough, man. And, and uh, just waking up that morning, uh, like I I woke up really early, and, and I was like because we, we were supposed to go to the stadium that day. Uh, he was, he was supposed to pitch that Sunday and, and then Mattingly pushed him back one day and it, which was logical because the Braves were not that good at the time. And Adam Conley was coming back and he was supposed to be on sun, uh, to pitch on, on Sunday. So it made sense for Jose to start on Monday uh, against the Mets because the Mets, Mets were in the race and the Marlins were still in the race for, for a wild card. So, to start a series against uh, Bartolo Colon and the Mets on that Monday was going to give Jose the opportunity to pitch on Sunday, uh, the last game of the season, and a potentially wild, wild, wild card uh, clinching game or something like that. So uh, it was important for, for the Marlins, but we know what happened. And, and yeah, it was really sad. That, like I actually I remember that day too. You know, I watching MLB Network turn it on. Oh, uh, it was tough. And 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 I went to to a ballpark the next day. Um, you know, with, with the decoy and home run and everything that happened that day. And and it's you know completely the opposite to to what I mentioned about the atmosphere and all the joy and and happiness. You know, every time Jose pitch in in Miami because he was like attending a, a huge funeral and that that was the the feeling um 
and it was the weirdest sensation I, I've ever felt in you know ballpark or in my life. Uh, I I still can't describe it, honestly. Uh, and when D Gordon hit the home run, I didn't <laughs> like at the time. I can't say like I didn't understand what happened. I was like, what's going on? Like how? Like what is this? You know, like first of all, he, D hit a home run, but second of all, second deck. Um, first at bat, first home run for the season for for him. Uh, you know, everything that, that was going on, it was really uh, special. Yes, it definitely was. And you said you covered Marlins, and we, we were talking about you covered Stanton. And what was that like covering Giancarlo Stanton? It was nice because um, I started covering the team when he. Um, got hot you know that streak in in june then july then august then september you know in chasing 60 home runs and i remember the first game i covered was the first game he changed you know his batting stance and from that moment on john carlos season was just different and and uh, it, it was so nice because like there was something going on every day at the ballpark so of course, your your job, your work is, um, you know, people is watching even more because they want to know what's going on with Giancarlo and, and, and the team at the time because uh, they had Giancarlo, but they had Yelich, Stanton, Osuna, uh, JT Real Muto, D. Gordon, Justin Bohr, um, young Brian Anderson coming up or Martin Prado. And, you know, it, it was a, a very good team. Unfortunately, they didn't have too much depth on the on the bench on, on the roster and pitching was not good pitching was not good even with with jose alive because it was him and four other guys but um it, it was it was very nice because he was on a run it was and it was really fun to 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 be around him who wouldn't want to be around stanton <laughs> <laughs> well i mean he's he's not a, a media guy um I, I don't think he's a fan of the media, <laughs> but uh, he's 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 a nice guy, a nice guy. I have to to say that and, and focus on on his uh, work and workout routine and everything that that he's doing all the time. I like you know since since I've been covering baseball, uh, the players that I've seen working the hardest are John Carlos Tannen. I have to say Jose Urania. Uh, that guy's an animal or hell Fado the same thing um, because you know and, and you see those big strong guys but Giancarlo was something something else was something different um, and on another level he's, he's like he's an animal <laughs> when, when, you, when you see him uh, just walking into a room you know you, you feel that the presence and, and it's something uh, different um, so what I'm wondering is you're talking you're talking about like you know how they had that crazy postseason run. What was it like this year? You know when they had that like when they kind of surprised a lot of people with a team made up of like not too many big names. Well, I'm glad you, you you're asking that, Kobe, because um, it, it was fun, but it was different because. We were not, we were, we, I mean, I was going to a ballpark anyway, but it was so different because everything was via Zoom. So it, it would have been even 
nicer to to be around them and and like you know be in the clubhouse and i mean things happen during games and i was saying like oh man too bad that we're not going to be in the clubhouse after the game or or things like that because they were doing so good but so good and i know that the atmosphere inside that clubhouse was so amazing so amazing like i've never seen nothing like it not even like i have to tell you what i've what i've seen from the marlins in the last two seasons you know like in with, with all the chemistry and and with how uh, you know with, with players attitude and, and all of that it's been it, it was better than what i saw in 2017 with all the stars around the team honestly um i feel this it's just different and what for example miguel rojas was able to do or jesus aguilar cervelli um, Brian Anderson. I mean, all of those guys. That that was so so nice to see. And once again, it was important for for me, you know, to to have them winning because, um, you know, my 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 stories. I mean, people were reading my stories a lot, and, and whatever whatever we were doing in, in Alexa Base related with uh, the Marlins because um, they were winning, right? And when COVID hit and they had the outbreak on, on the team that was really tough to cover because we had so many, so, I mean, so, so many things, you know, to, to inform and to report and, and so much information. And sometimes you have to be careful with it, with the information that you have, because you can't, you can't report everything you have. And I, at the time I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, because I had, I had so much information and things I honestly, I didn't want to know at that time. And I said like, you know what, like, I just want to know if there's someone positive, and, you know who if, like if i can know the names cool but just to keep it for for myself you know to have the list and, and to prepare something uh so whenever they they come back to the field i cannot report any game any, any names unless the player says okay go ahead and do it or the team allows it they never did and, and i respect that 100 percent. so that that you know i had to be really careful with that and it was very stressful at the time and then when they came back in, in Baltimore and won four in a row and then one in New York I was like oh man I mean <laughs> like I don't know I don't know where this is gonna take us but seat me in the on the front seat because I mean this is so cool <laughs> so what I'm actually wondering is you know with COVID and all the Marlins were one of the most affected teams by it what did that do for their I guess their mentality on you know how to like how to still put in the work Mentality, attitude, um, being—I don't know—putting all, all they they had because they had they had nothing to lose. Honestly, the Marlins were never favorites to do something this year. Not with COVID, without COVID, sixty games, one sixty-two uh, playoffs. I mean, regular play, playoffs or extended playoffs—they were not favorites. They were not. I mean, they, they were in a division with the reigning champs, the Nationals, with uh, Cy Young in the ground, with, uh, of course, the, not even, I mean, not only uh, division contenders, but World Series contenders, Braves, and the powerful Phillies with Real Muto, uh, Bryce Harper, Didi Gregorius, new manager Girardi I mean they were not the favorites to win in that division they were not and they had to face all of them and then go to face the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays 
you know, those are those are not, you know, uh, easy teams. They're really tough, and they were not supposed to do anything. So they 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 knew they had nothing to lose, but they went out there and they had fun. They played hard. They played the right way, and everything went good for them. I mean, when I when I saw that team winning five games out of seven games in no. I think it was more games. I I don't remember the the exact amount of games, but when they won the series against the the, the Phillies and they played against them for like an entire week or something like oh no they they played seven games in in five days against the Phillies here, and and they they won five of those games. That tells you how much they 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 wanted to win and they were doing things the the right way. And yeah, of course they lost in the in the ALDS, but the Braves were so much better than than them, and and you could see the difference between talent, you know, talent-wise between those two teams. But what they did was really good, and they already have that postseason experience. And uh, you know, next year when or this year, whenever they go into a tough situation, they they know how to come out of it. Well, Daniel, that was one gr- again, another great explanation. Now, mm-hmm. you just recently, about a week ago, you got a very prestigious award. And can you just tell everyone what the award is? Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Sam. I, I honestly, I, I don't think it's an award uh, because it's, it's not that they give this to you, but it's certainly an honor, a huge honor uh, to be part of the. Um, Baseball Writers Association of America. Uh, one great accomplishment for for my career, and it's something uh, you know that it makes my my job uh, a little little easier for coverage, but um, tougher at the same time because now I have a bigger responsibility, uh, and it's it's something great. It's a huge honor to be alongside so many so many great writers that I've been following and, and reading all my life and you know to to be with them in the same association it's something uh, crazy honestly but um, you know as, as I said it's a big responsibility now and I'm, I'm ready for you know for for the challenge um so what I, I'm like I guess what is the feeling now that you have this much pressure on you is it like I guess a different mentality that you're going through now I don't think it's pressure, honestly. Um, but I know that I have to be even more responsible now. Uh, for example, I mean, whenever I have to decide for whatever award I'm voting for, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, uh, whatever. Um, you know, sometimes the, car- the career of a player can change after an award uh, for good or for bad and you know to have the responsibility to choose hey like you are winning the scion or you're winning the mvp like i'm gonna put you to win this this award uh, that's a big responsibility and, and you have to to take your your job very serious and, and study and analyze and, and have a, a good criteria you know to, to say like hey you know what you're the mvp because of this 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 and this or you're the scion because of this or that or whatever and, and you know you're gonna have fans, you know, <laughs> writing stuff on, on Twitter to you and, and stuff like that. But um, that, that's 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 like the fun part of it. But you have to be 
uh, responsible and, and more serious at your job. Um, 10 years from now, I'm going to be hopefully um, eligible to, to vote for the Hall of Fame. So respons the responsibility now is even bigger uh, because there's nothing bigger like uh, than the Hall of Fame, you know, for a player. So, uh, yeah, it's a big responsibility. Now you have the ability to vote for the Hall of Fame. How will biasy affect your vote? An MVP or Cy Young or now you're in 10 years, hopefully you'll get the Hall of Fame vote. How's that going to play an effect for you? A huge role, but sometimes we say that, oh yeah, but this player, for example, um, let's say Bobby Abreu. Let's talk about Bobby for a second. Um, he just won a gold glove. That's it. I think maybe one silver slugger, maybe. Um, but never won an MVP, was not even close to it. Um, maybe because of the voting at the time and the way they were measuring players and players' performance that time, right? But I, when, when I look at his numbers, I say, this player was pretty dominant at his position and what he did during his prime. Or, uh, I don't know, uh, let's say Andrew Jones or a guy like that. So MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, all All Star games, Gold Glove, Silver Sluggers, all of that is gonna is gonna be involved, like in my criteria to to decide. But also, I'm 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 gonna be able to to judge on what I saw, and and that's really important too. Like for example, I hope I can I can get the chance to vote for Max Scherzer, for example, uh, if he plays five more years, please Max do it so I can vote for you. Um, I want to say, you know what, I'm voting for him because he was maybe the most dominant right-handed pitcher of his generation alongside with Justin Berlander. And I have to vote for, for him. I have to vote for JV. JV is not, I'm not going to be able to vote for JV because he's going to retire in like two years. But, um, you know, that's, that's going to be my criteria. Like when, based on, on what I saw and of course what the numbers uh, support. Now, with great power does become great responsibility. Now, right before I wrap it up, just, I have to throw this in here. Now, this may be a little personal for you, but we have a whole debate in the baseball world, whether steroids belong in the hall of fame or they don't belong in the hall of fame with players. Now, what is your personal opinion on, do they belong or they do not? And how will that affect in your voting? Oof. So it's a uh, it's it's tricky because I think that what we're seeing now um, and whenever I have the chance to vote, it's gonna. I mean, we're not gonna have guys like Schilling, like uh, Bonds or Clemens, Sheffield, Pudge, um, that were involved in PD's scandals or were you know suspicious. For example, Sheffield and, and Pudge, right? Bonds and Clements, for me, they are a creation of, I mean, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that, but um, I think it was pretty obvious for many people that they were having steroids, right? Same with Sosa. But they never tested positive, never. And we already have guys in the hall that were suspicious. Pudge, for example, uh, Jeff Bagwell recently. So 
I said, like, you know what? If, if everybody's going in, just let them in and vote for them. But if you have a guy like Manny, for example, Manny Ramirez, who tested positive twice, for me, he's, he, he, I mean, it's a no, like, like clearly. Because, you know, the, the prohibition was already out there and you violated the protocol twice. So for me, you're not allowed to, you know, to, to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, a guy like Robinson Cano, one time, okay, but two, no. Nelson Cruz is going to be an interesting case, for example, because he, he was really good. And, you know, from, from the start of his career, he tested positive in 2013 and had his suspension. And from that moment on, he was so great and he's never tested positive again. So you don't have to, I mean, right now he's 40 years old and, and playing like he was 28, but you have to say like, Hey man, like what's going to happen with, with Nelly Cruz right now? Like people are still going to think about him and the, positive test in 2013 or what he did after you know to to become even a better become even a better player right so that's going to be a fun discussion and, and that's a discussion i'm going to have um, from 10 years and in 10 years from now and whenever i get to to vote but uh yeah that's my opinion on, on peds and daniel once again amazing answer and we're going to wrap this episode up right now and daniel thank you for coming on kobe thank you for coming on we, I greatly appreciate it. And I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Sam.